Well, well, yeah, as Andrew said, welcome to this new series. And we, we've called it Jesus dot, 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 plus nothing. And I just thought, what an interesting weekend to start this, this series on. I have had our eyes fixed on our new king, Charles III, this weekend. But the book of Colossians says, fix your eyes on King Jesus. And as Andrew said, you know, we're going to be doing exactly that over the next eight to ten weeks. And the, the passage that we're going to be reading today is actually one that I think Rishi Sunak read out yesterday, if you were watching the, the coronation, which I thought was really interesting. But the dominant theme of this book, which Dan has the joy of speaking on a little bit more next week, is the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ as the head and the sustainer of all creation and of the church. And in fact, it's faith in him that Charles has promised to defend. That was part of his oath, wasn't it, yesterday? And just as an aside, wasn't it so encouraging to hear nearly, I think, 30 references from the Bible yesterday at that coronation in front of, what, a couple of billion people, I suspect? Encouraging stuff, things to be praying for. But, you know, I want to start by saying I'm not really into cars. We used to drive a 13-year-old Ford Mondeo, that, which we lovingly, kind of, we lovingly called Rusty Springfield. <laughs> partly due to its color, the color of rust, partly due to the, the amount of rust on it, and partly because I used to listen to Dusty Springfield as a boy, and I had nice memories. But when I traveled with a previous job, I would get a rental car. And these cars were always in marked contrast to, to Rusty Springfield, my car. And I think I might, I might have mentioned this before, but the longest journey I, I ever did was Torquay in a day. And I, did, I went to Torquay and back in a day, which is about 600 miles. And, and I was in this rental car, and this was 4 a.m. in the morning, because you have to, had to be there for about half past nine. And the inside of this car looked more like a spaceship than a car. You know, gadgets galore, I'm sure some of you here would be salivating at that. I was just confused and a bit embarrassed at 4 a.m. trying to work out how to start this car. And it was still dark, and I was tired, and it wasn't long down the motorway before I came to that most wonderful of things, smart motorway creation. And of course, you know what happens? The lanes get narrow, don't they? And suddenly, beep, 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 beep. And I was suddenly wide awake, because beeping in my household immediately puts me on edge. See, my wife, Mez, who most of you know here, uses our oven beeper stroke timer for everything. So it's always going off in our house, and it's often to remind me to do something. And so I was right, I'm awake, what's going on? Uh, well, I, went, I worked out what the beeping was. See. It, the beeper was going off because I was getting too close to the middle embankment. The car was basically warning me to keep on the straight and narrow. And this is similar to what Paul is going to do in this letter, this book of Colossians. He's acting like beepers. He's saying that fix your eyes ahead on King Jesus. Don't be put off by cars that overtake you that look better than your car. When fog and rain descend and you're struggling to see, keep your eyes fixed on him. When you're being enticed by something, um, you know, at a service station, you drive past, well, that looks good. And actually, you know, it's not particularly good for us. He's saying, keep going. Eyes on the road. 
Jesus plus nothing. And we're going to read part of the parts of our passage today. In fact, we're going to read parts of our passage three times today because Faith read it out. Well, that's okay. That's good. And the first time, I'm just going to stop and provide some context, the who's, the what's, the why's. There's going to be some issues that feature throughout this book that I think we need to be aware of as we read it. You can't take the history teacher out of me afraid. Context is really important. And I just want to uh, bless the, the, other, the other preachers. So when they're talking about things, hopefully you're going to have a bit of an understanding of what that is as we go into the next eight to ten weeks. So we're going to start with Colossians 1. 1 to 14. The words will be up on your screen, but do follow on your phone or your, or your physical Bible if, if that's how you do things. As I said, I'm going to stop fairly often the first time I do this. So it starts like this. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. And, Andrew, and as Andrew has just said, we find out that Paul is the author of the letter. And actually, at the time of writing, he's writing about AD 60, we think, and he's writing from a prison in Rome. And if we go on to the next slide, please, you can hopefully see that, that Colossae is a town, I'll just come and point, around 80 miles from Ephesus. You can see Colossae there, Ephesus there, and you can say, see Rome just at the top left corner, which is where Paul is. But Colossae is about 80 miles inland um, from Ephesus, in what today is the western part of Turkey. And for you visual learners, hopefully that's something of interest. But it's a bit of context. And I love the way he addresses them. And Paul does this often. You know, when you read the epistles, you might see this. First of all, he says, God's holy people in Colossae. And then he says, he calls them the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Did you pick up on that? And I love the fact that physically he's saying, this is where you're rooted. I'm writing to you where you're at. This is where we're rooted, aren't we? West Leeds, East Bradford. But he also says, but don't forget you're rooted in Christ. Spiritually, this is where you're at. It's worth remembering. It's worth remembering about ourselves and about this church. This is where we are. And so we move on. And he says, we always... Thank God. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. And I've just underlined those two words, heard of. Context here, Paul has never visited this church before. And he never does. But look and read how, how incredibly grateful is he for this church. And gratitude and thanks is a theme of this book. Okay, as we go ahead, I'm just going to give you some seeds. Gratitude and thanks is a theme of this book. But he's grateful. He's grateful for gospel foundations. He's grateful for gospel, gospel culture. And he's grateful that he's heard about this love that abounds amongst these people. Sounds like a good church, doesn't it? Then he moves on. He says, The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. We get our first beep, 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 beep moment here. I've underlined two words, true and truly. It's 
our first hint as to why Paul is writing this letter, or part of the reason why he's writing this letter, because this young church has an issue. This young church has an issue. And to summarize it really in one word, I would use, I would use the word Gnosticism. So Paul is writing into the context of a mixed kind of pluralistic society which has been heavily influenced by this thing called Gnosticism, false teaching, spiritual heresies. And again, just so you have a little bit of understanding of this before we move on to this series, I'm going to spend probably just two or three minutes talking about this word gnosis, to know. Because Paul wants to bring them back to the true gospel. He wants to bring them back to the truth about Jesus, which is why he uses those words, true, truly. And Gnostics, Gnostics consider themselves to be people of superior knowledge who could help lesser Christians attain deeper spirituality. And the very word, as it says here, from the Greek word gnosis, it means to know, to know. And they, they held this basic doctrine that matter, anything physical or created, i.e. you and me, was evil. Only the spirit, only the spiritual world was good. And so to the Gnostics, Christ was not creator. That's an issue. The incarnation, in other words, God taking human form, was not real. And Christ ultimately was not enough. Therefore, what we're going to get as we go through this series is we're going to get Paul's really rather masterful response to these heresies and the damage they're doing in this young church. Make sense so far? And I, I just want to make a, a really clear point, because Gnosticism is, is still relevant and prevalent today. I think it's worth just knowing that. It's just adapted. It adapts within cultures. It's one of those things that just adapts as time goes on. I'm just trying to think what a, what a current Gnostic or a Gnostic kind of like belief might be to this day. Um, a, current, a current Gnostic might say something like this. It might say, search your heart. Seek the truth deep within your soul. You are the truth because some kind of God is in you. It's search for the hero inside yourself stuff. It's you. You are who you say you are. That's prevalent in our society, isn't it? Big thing about identity at the moment. You are who you say you are, which is actually totally opposite to the Bible and what the Bible says. Because the Bible tells the searching heart that the true human tragedy is sin. The things that separate us from God and that the blood of Jesus, what he did on the cross, is the only antidote for the human condition. And salvation, that we are saved by what Jesus did, is not what we know. It's not who we are. It's not what we are. No. It's whom we know and whose we are. And so the book of Colossians is and will always be incredibly relevant to us, which is why I'm really excited about it. Right, let's move on. He goes on to say, verse 7, You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told your love in the Spirit. Epaphras. Epaphras is the church leader. And I love this story because Epaphras was converted when hearing Paul preach in Ephesus. 
And so Epiphras and planted the church. Okay. It's a great story. <laughs> that feels funny. Um, it's an encouraging story. No, you know, no wonder Paul is excited. No wonder Paul is excited because he's coming and, and hearing about a spirit-filled church and therefore he's led to pray for them fervently. This is what he says next. He says, and we've had this read out already, but it says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the kingdom, uh, the kingdom, I'm sorry, of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul is led to do what? Paul is led to continually pray for them. And then Paul shows us how. I mean, what a great set of things to pray. And remember, Paul's never met them, but he wants to make really sure that he's communicated exactly what he wanted this young church to be filled with. What he wants them to long for. He says, this is what I want you to look like. Gospel DNA, gospel content, gospel culture. This is what I want you to long for. So that's some of the context. Hopefully useful, particularly as we go ahead. And you know what? I'm just going to read what I've just read again because I just think it's really good practice. When you read the Bible, sometimes you come across things that are difficult. And my, my encouragement to you is don't just, oh gosh, that was difficult. Didn't get that. <laughs> I'll just move on. Go back and read it again. It's often the second or the third time of reading when something suddenly hits you and the spirit wants to talk. So I'm just going to read that again. Follow as I do. Colossians 1, 9 to 14. For this reason... Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God. In other words, we long for God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." So really, the title of this talk is, what, what do you long for? That's a big question, isn't it? What do you long for? Because what we long for impacts pretty much everything. The decisions we make, the jobs we take, who we spend time with, what do we do with our free time, where we live, why we live there, everything. 
We know this, don't we? But if you're, if you're anything like me, you, you need to be reminded. What we long for impacts nearly everything. And so the question is, what do you long for? Are they good? Are they godly longings? So God, through his spirit-breathed word, tells us to long for certain things, doesn't he? And quite a few of these we find in, in Paul's prayer this morning that we've just read. And so I'm just going to talk about four longfuls, four longfuls this morning, because I do want time for us to respond today. So firstly, do you long to pray? Verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Do we long to pray? What we've just read is Paul's prayer of longing for the church, and in fact, for every church. Do you know, almost 100 years ago, a young missionary named Ray Edmund staggered in from an Ecuadorian jungle, and he was desperately ill. The doctor said, matter-of-factly, he'll be dead by morning. And Edmund's wife dyed her wedding dress black so that it would be ready for the funeral, because when you're in the tropics, funerals have to happen pretty much immediately. And thousands of miles away in Boston... A friend of his, a guy called Dr. Joseph Evans, interrupted a prayer meeting and just said, I feel we must pray for Ray Edmund. I've just got a sense we really need to pray for Ray Edmund. And they prayed and they prayed. And you can see where this is going. Ray Edmund recovered. And he had a 40-year fruitful ministry thereafter. I mean, his wife's dress didn't recover. But he recovered. And I tell you that story just because I think it's a great story. But what a, a reminder that affirms the power of intercessory prayer, which is what Paul is doing continually. So what do you pray for? Do you pray for this church? Do you pray for your faith? Do you pray for the faith of others in this church? Because Paul continually prays for these things. And prayer is a bit like driving. To continue the car illustration. You can't learn to do it in a classroom. You, you, you know, you can only do theory in a classroom. You can really only learn by sitting in the car and having a go. And here we find Paul being the driving instructor. Do you see that? He's saying these are really good things to pray for. And he gives us some really good instructions as to what to pray for and what to long for. Secondly, do you long for knowledge? Verses 9 and 10 say, you know, I continually, I'm praying to ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. We need to be careful here, don't we? Because Paul makes quite a clear distinction about what kind of knowledge we need to long for. He says it's of his will through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And guys, I need to be honest with you. I, I sought worldly knowledge for too long. And my experience, and this is my experience, but think about this, was that pursuit of knowledge in and of itself, it left me fairly empty. The pursuit of knowledge in and of itself tended to push me towards seeking prestige and status. That was my experience. It's a bit like the car that takes over a little bit too close 
that looks, that looks a little bit better than ours? I mean, do our senses go off? And we can seek knowledge in so many things, can't we? I mean, we can spend hours, days, weeks in a year gaining knowledge of stuff, of things, from Harry Potter to computer games to cars to sport. Do you know, we even say, seek the same knowledge over and over and over again, even though we actually kind of know it. I mean, I've watched some films probably 10 or 12 times. I mean, why is that? Do our senses go off? Beep, beep, beep. Another pitfall for me was I, I probably spent about a whole year just reading theology books and neglecting the Bible. But I told myself, you know, this is good. This is a godly thing. And I've also read the Bible, but I've done it really without asking or letting the Spirit do anything to me, to change me. And neither of those approaches actually really led to fruit. Not in my life, not in the lives of others. And in fact, the former, just reading theology books, it really puffed me up. It made me quite proud, in fact. And Paul is saying, and this is the key thing, isn't it? Paul is saying that our knowledge when filled with wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, must lead to change. It must lead to direction for living. It, it needs to be used for his glory to live a life worthy of the Lord. In other words, as we walk through this thing called life. Um, Kent Hughes is a biblical commentator. I like this quote. He says, The mutual cause and effect relationship between knowing and doing is one of the fundamental laws of spiritual growth. The mutual cause and effect relationship between knowing and doing is one of the fundamental laws of spiritual growth. In other words, he's saying there's a dynamic connection between knowledge and action. Think about it in your own lives. You work towards what you long for, yeah? And the tragedy is that many people spend a lifetime of long hours working towards something that ultimately can be a dead end. True spiritual knowledge means action. Knowledge, especially spiritual knowledge, should affect one's walk. And I was, some of us are doing Bible in the year, and I've got Emily Holloway's permission to do this, but I thought she said something really useful and and encouraging, actually, and I thought fitted in nicely here on Bible in a Year. She said, now I'm doing Bible in a Year, I'm kicking myself for not doing it before. I understand what it means to be hungry for the Word of God. I organize my day to make sure I do it. So the question is, what kind of knowledge do you long for? Knowledge that brings fruit in your life that will last? Psalm 37.4, which... Andrew prayed earlier today as we were gathering. It says, delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And when you delight in him, my experience, and I hope your experience, is that what you long for gently changes. You long to spend longer and longer in his presence. And if you come back to that driving illustration, you know, theory only gets us so far, doesn't it? We can have knowledge, but, but without the spirit, without application, we're just static. We're just staying still. We're not bearing fruit. 
But I'd also just like to say, just as Paul was encouraged, so should we be. We should be, we should be encouraged. You know, the fact that many of us are reading things like the Bible in a year, and all, and all sorts of stuff is happening at this church is encouraging. And the Bible in a year was particularly encouraging because I, the Spirit spoke to quite a lot of people all at the same time and said, you need to be reading the Bible as a church. And it prompted them to encourage the getting to know him better. And, you know, it, it just isn't about Bible in a year. I'm encouraged by all sorts of things. And we'll talk about the importance of giving thanks later on. But remember, a life worthy of the Lord does bear fruit. And that's what Paul prays next. So thirdly, do you long to bear fruit? In verse 10, Paul basically says, be individuals in a church that long to be bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. And do you know what? I'm so grateful for this church. I, I love you guys. I really do. But of course, it's not perfect. It's not perfect because I'm in it. And it's not perfect because you're in it. But you know, we stand here and we're planted here. And that's really what I want to say. We've, if we haven't said this, we've probably thought it. But you know that, that term, well, I'm going to put down roots. I'm going to put down roots. And we have that habit, don't we, of wanting to map it all out. Church, jobs, schools for my children. And sometimes we do it in that order. Sometimes not. But I just really want to encourage you this morning to grow where you've been planted. We're called to be holy and set apart. We're called for a special purpose. We're called to be distinct from the darkness. As a church, let's seek to bear fruit where we've been planted. I want to remind you we're here for a reason and a season, and that season isn't particularly long. And that reason and a season, of course, is to enjoy God, yes, but we're also to bring as many to glory as possible in partnership with him. I just want to remind you that the church is God's great idea. It's plan A. There's not really much of a plan B. And I just, I felt as I was writing this that God is readying some of you to be repotted. We're growing sunflowers at the moment and we've had to do exactly that. We've had to go you know, the, the, the sunflower's getting too big, so we have to repot it. Do you see the illustration? And I really sense God wants to move some of you into a bigger pot so you can grow deeper roots. Space to grow, and this is a really good thing. So if that is you, if that resonates with you this morning, can I just really encourage you to pray and push into this? Don't ignore it. Pray and push into this. And I also wanted to say that being fruitful pleases God. It really pleases God. And we are called to be fruitful. John 15, 8, what does it say? It says, this, and this is Jesus talking, this is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And before this, Jesus is talking about the vine, and he says that we must remain in him. And when you remain in something, you stay, don't you? It's a continuous walk, this thing called life. We're, we're called to be lifelong disciples, and again, we, we do this as, as church. We do this within church. We are to encourage each other. This is not just some, some lonely path on our own. And I'm speaking to myself more than anyone here, I think. Have you heard about that experiment they did with cold water? 
to see how long someone could stay in cold water for. And so they did it with this guy, and this guy was on his own. They didn't really tell him much about this, this experiment. They just say, see how long you can stay in this really cold water for. And of course, you barely lasted anything. You go to Centre, we've, we've recently been to Centre Park, and there's a cold plunge ball there, and no one could stay in it for very long. They got out really quickly. Then another guy did it, and he was in a team, and they were all going, come on, you can stay in this longer. Come on, this is the goal. We've got to stay in for this amount of time. And of course, he stayed in three times longer than the guy who had no instructions and who was on his own. Do you get the illustration? Having people to lovingly hold us to account to encourage us is really important. And I, also, I want to echo what Andrew said earlier. If you aren't in a community group or a life group, I want you to really encourage you to consider this because these are the places where you're going to be rooted, where you will grow and, and hopefully bear fruit, God willing, and fruit, as Jesus said, that will last. And fourthly, and this is really on my heart, do you long to give thanks? Do you long to give thanks? Verse 12. And in fact, we come to the summit of our we come to the summit of what Paul is praying for here, don't we? We come to the peak. It's right at the end. Give thanks. He says, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Dot dot dot. And as, as a nation, we don't seem particularly grateful or thankful, I think. The National Science Foundation did quite a large study and a survey in 2017. And I don't know how they did this. And of course, we take statistics with a, with a pinch of salt, don't we? But it estimated that 80% of people's thoughts are negative. Can you resonate with that? Don't know, some of the conversations I've had over the years, I, I think I can. And Andrew's talk last week was about talking to ourselves. Really important, but also a crucial element to this is talking the language of thanks, giving thanks to God. And Paul says we should be thankful for two things. He says we should be thankful for a future reality and thankful for a present reality. So number one, he says this, we need to be thankful because he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. In other words, he's saying we should be deeply grateful and give thanks for our future reality that we're going to inherit eternal life and be with Jesus forever. Are you thankful? Number two, verses 13 and 14, he says, you need to give thanks because he's rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is your present reality. Or if you're not a believer in Jesus here, this could be your imminent reality. That your sins have been sent away. That what Jesus did on the cross is enough. It's been done for you. So we should have a gratitude attitude. We're trying to really inculcate this into the lives of our children. Culturing that attitude of gratitude. And I would say to us that a healthy church should be giving thanks a lot. Do you know, last Sunday, God spoke to me about the word shout. It was in our worship, and it was in Psalm 27, which Andrew read. And actually, the word shout in the Hebrew is shabak. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. And it means more than shout. It means a triumphant, victorious shout of praise. 
And you know, I was really reminded of Palm Sunday. Do you remember Palm Sunday when Jesus comes in on the donkey into Jerusalem and he's welcomed as a king and they're all shouting in loud voices, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a victorious shout. And what do the Pharisees do? They go, shh, be quiet. Teacher, tell your disciples to shut up. Basically, that's what they say, don't they? Rebuke your disciples. And Jesus replies these wonderful words. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And I just want to remind you this morning that if you're a believer in Jesus here, if you've accepted into your heart that Jesus has established his kingship in you, he has established his kingship in you, and it's worth shouting about. It's really worth shouting about. And he loves our praise. The Bible tells us he rejoices over us. He delights in us. There was a church leader in the 19th century called William Tiptaft. And this is a really challenging quote. So listen to this. He said, God is pleased with gratitude. He gets so little of it. God is pleased with gratitude. He gets so little of it. And if we go back to Palm Sunday... Just a few days later, some of the same people, they're shouting again at Jesus, aren't they? What are they shouting? Crucify him. Crucify him. And I'm not saying we necessarily necessarily shout that, but we kind of sometimes do in our hearts, don't we? We rebel, we're fickle, we can be ungrateful, and we can grow cold. We can really grow cold towards Jesus. I wonder if you've become a bit cold. Do you need to turn the car heating up? Do you know, even when we're in a car and we, we're cold, we put all sorts of layers on, don't we? We put on hats and earmuffs. The problem is we, we can't hear the sensors when they go off. So what are your hats and earmuffs that numb your gratitude, that numb your thanks at times? I mean, do, do, do we joyfully celebrate the good news of the gospel in our lives, in the lives of others, in the lives of this church? Does it radiate out? Do you know, last week, I'm probably going to struggle to say this. Last week, I was just gently at the back, just gently weeping, man, man tears. Because I was seeing shouts of praise, and it, it just filled me with gratitude. I could see shouts in our church, and I was just so grateful. Izzy was dancing in the aisles. That was her shout, wasn't it? Lauren and... <laughs> And Olivia were literally shouting, I mean, tunefully. But that, that, that was their shout. They were, they were praising God. And then there was Tom. Do you know, like most teenagers, he didn't want to be sitting in front of us. But that was his shout. That was his shout before God. It's... All shouts are different, aren't they? All shouts are different. And last Sunday, I really sensed God say to us as a church, how loud is your shout? How loud is your shout? And I felt, again, as I was preparing this, that for some of you, perhaps worship is an area where you want your shout to be a little bit louder. Uh, and just my prayer for you is that the spirit would enable the, the outward expression of praise and thanksgiving to be more important than what you think others might be thinking. Hopefully that makes sense. But as I come into land and before we respond, um, I just want to say we long for what we love. 
We long for what we love, don't we? And, and the good news is that Jesus loved us first. Jesus longs for us. And the gospel is the good news about his compassion and enduring commitment to us, not our devotion to him. But as we often say in this church, you know, he loves us too much to leave us. He longs for us to know him better. So will you come to him? We're going to spend some time in response. We're going to do something a little bit different. And I, I'm stealing this from something that Glenn Scrivener did uh, with, El, with Ellie and I the other day. And I just want you to be sitting in, in twos and threes. It doesn't matter if it's fours. And if we can move on to the next, next one, guys, thanks. Last one. One after that. And that is a question I just want to spend in twos and threes, you actually sharing with the people next to you. What do you love about Jesus? What are you thankful for? Because Glenn Scrivener made a really important point that sometimes we're not that good at talking to other people because actually we're not very good at evangelizing each other in the church. And it might be that you just, there's something, there's a parable, there's a story about Jesus that you just love. So try and keep this just to a single sentence, if you can, or two sentences. I'm not asking for a, you know, a massive long paragraph answer. I'm asking for a succinct answer. What do you love about Jesus? It might be one of his healings. It might be something really quite personal to you. And in a minute, I'm going to ask Andrew just to be the, the roving mic. And if... If you're feeling brave, if you want this to be your shout, then let me just encourage you to evangelize the church and encourage the church. Do you know, this is what I love about Jesus. And it might just be, for, for time's sake, that this is our, just our response today, but I think it's important. I think it's important that we're telling each other, this is what I love about King Jesus. This is the difference that he's made. So I've spoken for long enough. You're going to now speak to the people around you, and you're going to Ask, answer that question. And then hopefully some of you are going to share your thoughts. And then I think I'll probably just finish by praying for us. Okay?
Okay. Well, this is good. You're talking. So, so Andrew is now going to come around and be the roving mic. And just let me, as I said, encourage you to be brave and bold. This might be your, your loudest shout this morning. If, if this is something that makes you feel uncomfortable, then we are family. I just want to remind you of that. You don't need to worry. But we will be encouraged what you say because when we talk about the love we have for Jesus and what he's done for us, we can't help but be encouraged. So he wants to start us off. Remember, it's a sentence for everyone, okay? Yeah. I think the most amazing thing of the well, love about Jesus is just the way he answers prayers and just the way that he knows exactly what's in your heart, that he knows you so well. And like Sarah said, that, you know, he's, he knows our intentions and, you know, everything. And the, the most amazing thing is that he gives you everything you need. Thanks, Trish. A personal saviour. Yeah, I love that. A personal saviour. Knows us intimately. So I was asking June, and she'd like me to tell you what she said. So she said, her favorite thing about Jesus was that he died on the cross to save us all. And in her life, it's that he uh, keeps her going. He gives her the strength to keep her going. Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, Dan and I were saying, a wretched as I, and he saved us. It's amazing. I love Jesus because he loved me when I was such a horrible person and so undeserving of his love and I can honestly say I love him with all my heart yeah, Amen Thank you. That's the gospel Hi church I think um, the most wonderful thing about Jesus for me is the gift of the Holy Spirit most times when I'm at home, maybe I lost something and I'm looking for it. It has always worked for me. I'll just say, Holy Spirit, show me. And in the space of a second, two minutes, you can ask my wife. I've taught her that. Thank you. No, thank you. Holy Spirit, yeah, we need your Holy Spirit. Should we have one more? Yeah. Hi. Um, he's always been faithful, and in times of need, when you think sometimes you're quite far away from him, he's always there, and, um, and he lets you know, and he's, he's just been completely faithful in my life, so that's what I love about Jesus. Right, well, it's, I'm just going to pray for us in a minute, I think, to, to end, but can I encourage you not to stop here? Not to stop here. It's something powerful about evangelizing each other because we, we don't do it very often. And when we evangelize each other, our safe brothers and sisters, it then gives us the courage actually to go out and, and speak about Jesus to people who don't know him. So let, let me pray for us. Let me pray for us and I'll hand over to Andrew. Oh. Oh, Father God, um, thank you that though the road is narrow, I thank you that it's paved with love and it's paved with grace and it's paved with mercy. And Jesus, we say this morning, we long to make you Lord of all. We want to fix our eyes on you. 
And we know actually that deep down in our hearts, if we don't really do that, if, if we don't make you Lord of all, then you're really not Lord at all. And that's challenging, Lord, but that, that's our prayer. And I just want to pray, if there's anyone who feels any sense of condemnation this morning, then Holy Spirit, would you remind them that they are, that, sorry, that you are the Father. You are the Father who runs out to meet them with open arms. That is who you are. Regardless of, of who they are or what they have done, that is who you are. And so, Lord, we also ask convictors, uh, convictors of areas in our lives where we are longing for the wrong things. Help us to fix our eyes on you. Help us to long to pray. Help us to long for spirit-filled knowledge and understanding of your wonderful character and your plans for us. Plans, Lord, we ask that would bear fruit. And Lord, I pray, keep us coming back to the cross, to that place of thanks and gratitude for both our present and our future realities. And we pray as a church all this in your wonderful name. Amen.